Thank you for tuning in to this special episode of Movie Geeks United. John G. Avildsen, the director of classic films including Joe, Rocky, The Karate Kid, and many others, has died at the age of 81. In recognition of his passing and his enormous contribution to cinema, we're bringing you the following interview that was conducted by our sibling podcast back by midnight in 2009. Enjoy. Finally, my final big coup interview is with Oscar-winning filmmaker John G. Avildsen, who has been behind many surprisingly uh, zeitgeist films, starting with Joe from 1970, kind of one of the first, uh, if one of, if not the first, revenge of the working man films that have come out uh, periodically throughout the years, with an iconic performance by Peter Boyle. Also, Save the Tiger with Jack Lemmon's Oscar-winning performance as a man, as a World War II veteran, disillusioned by this seemingly out-of-touch generation. Then, of course, Rocky, and then also The Karate Kid and Lean on Me. We cover a lot of territory on the Rocky series, uh, but first we begin on what drew him to filmmaking. Here's my interview with John G. Avildsen. Well, before we get into Rocky, let me ask you this. What, what drew you to, uh, to, to filmmaking? Uh, it just seemed like more fun than working. Was this uh, when did you when did you first get interested in filmmaking? In um, about uh, uh, 1959. Okay. And, and uh, did, were you? How did how did you have? I guess you know the obvious question. Did you have? Uh, connections in the business, or what, how did you break in? No, no, I was, uh, up until then, I was uh, interested in advertising, and my uh, mm-hmm. my dream was to have my own advertising agency by the time I was 30. Mm-hmm. And in uh, 59, I was working in an advertising agency in New York, and the guy I was working for, he dreamed about making movies. And um, at the time I got drafted, he went to... Uh, Italy and worked for Fellini and Antonioni uh, on a couple of their movies. And um, uh, when he came back in uh, 61, I was getting out of the Army, and he made his first uh, movie, and I worked for him. And um, and that's when I was bitten. Mm-hmm. And were you a, a movie person just as a kid? Just, you know, when well, you my already... dad made home movies, and I grew up uh, uh, with... Uh, holding up little signs that set uh, the date and the place. And, uh, my dad was making uh, home movies long before I was born. So uh, cameras and stuff were things that were very familiar to me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, before we get to Rocky, I want to talk about one film that's uh, a real personal favorite of mine, and that's uh, Save the Tiger. And, uh, what, do you, what do you remember of that of that experience of making that? Well, Save the Tiger was the first movie I made out here in uh, in <clears throat> excuse me in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. It was the first movie that I uh, that I directed where I wasn't my own cameraman. Right. Um, and it was the uh, first movie I made uh, with a big Hollywood star, Jack Lemmon. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had the good fortune of uh, a great script by Steve Shagan, uh, wrote it and also uh, produced the movie, and has become a very uh, close friend. 
so the whole experience was a, a, a very happy one. Um, uh, and the movie was a very sad movie. And not many people went to it because I think it was uh, so sad. But it uh, has a, a loyal uh, following, and um, I'm, I'm very, uh, I was very pleased with how it uh, turned out. Right, and as you said, it has a loyal following, and at the time, and even now, you know, it's one of those films that certain people, you know, know about. So were, were you kind of startled when that film got the award recognition that it did, seeing that not many people went to it at the time? Well, the, the, the recognition that counts is at the box office, and it never got that kind of recognition, but uh, it certainly is... Uh, 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 satisfying when people like yourself uh, talk about it in uh, glowing terms. Right. And was Jack Lemmon, I mean, you know, the veteran, Billy Wilder, and all these other directors, and you said you said this was your first major film you made out in Hollywood. Was he was he a, an actor who was excited working with, you know, well, when I talent? Came, uh, when I came out here to um, audition for uh, Jack Lemon um, uh, went to his house for dinner uh, one evening, and I said, "You know, I've always been a fan of yours, but if you select me to direct this, I don't want to see you in it." And uh, he said, "That's right, kid." He said, "You keep your eyes open." He understood that I uh, didn't want him doing all his mannerisms and all the stuff that that he uh, got had gotten used to uh, to doing. I wanted right. him to uh, become. Uh, Harry Stoner, this uh, uh, this character in Steve's script, mm-hmm. and um, I would I would call a cut, and if he saw that I wasn't happy, he'd say, "You want me to do it without the eyebrow?" And I'd say, "Yeah, why don't why don't you try it without the eyebrow?" <laughs> then once the picture was uh, uh, finished, the uh, the studio wanted to. Uh, uh, changed the cut, and uh, Steve Shagan and I uh, sort of kidnapped the print and took it over to uh, Rome, where Jack was uh, uh, working with Billy Wilder on... Um, Avanti, right? Avanti, right, very good. And uh, we uh, showed it to uh, Jack in hopes that he would like it, and if he did, then um, the studio would leave it alone. So... Uh, one uh, uh, rainy afternoon, we uh, ended up in a little screening room outside of Rome, and Jack was there with uh, Billy Wilder, and uh, the film was still in um, uh, separate picture and track, uh, and we we screened the picture. And when the picture was o- over, the, the lights came up in this little screening room, and Nobody said anything, and Billy Wilder uh, said, well, there's only one thing wrong with this. And I thought to myself, oh, God, now what? And he said, I didn't make it. So uh, that uh, that couldn't have been nicer. And, and he was just, uh, Billy Wilder was just the, uh, the best. And just been seeing some of his uh, uh, pictures uh, recently on uh, Netflix, and uh, he certainly knew how to do it. Well, and I'll ask one more question about about the Tiger. And if this the story I heard, if it's true or not, is it true that there was one scene that?
that was taken out of the film that uh, at either Wilder's or Lemon's suggestion about uh, Harry Stoner going to see his mistress and, and the, uh, yeah in the um, in the uh, original story before he goes to the factory mm-hmm. uh, he stops and uh, uh, visits his uh, mistress in the Hollywood Hills and um, uh, I don't think it ever I don't think it was in the cut that went to uh, Rome for uh, Jack and uh, Billy Wilder to see. I think it uh, ended up on the floor beforehand, and the reason was it just sort of um, uh, slowed the picture down, and and it didn't really add much, and because the picture really starts uh, when he uh, arrives at the factory. Right. Right. Well, now it's '73, and then three years later, uh, you're on uh, on Rocky. How did you get involved with the Rocky Project? Uh, an old friend of mine, uh, Gene Kirkwood, um, <clears throat> called me and said he had this uh, uh, boxing script, and I explained to him that I wasn't interested in uh, boxing. I thought it was a silly thing to do, and I, he said, "No, no, please, uh, please, please read this. Uh, I think you'll like it." And I had just uh, come back from Malta where uh, I'd gone to scout locations for a picture that uh, was going to uh, star Richard Burton. But um, before we got a chance to uh, begin to shoot it, the production company ran out of money, so I was um, gainfully unemployed. And uh, Gene prevailed on me, and I started reading the script on the second or third page. Uh, uh, Rocky's talking to his... uh, Turtles, Cuff, and Link, and I was charmed. Um, I thought it was a great uh, character study and a uh, beautiful love story. And uh, Boxing was just the uh, the background, like the Civil War was the background to um, Gone with the Wind. So I never really thought it was about boxing. I, I thought it was a, a, a very well-crafted um, uh, character study. Mm-hmm. Sylvester is a, a good screenwriter. Yeah, <laughs> obviously, and, and and the and so when you came on, I mean, obviously, so was it already set when you came on that, you know, not only did he write this, but he's going to be the star and it's going to be this low budget film? Uh, yes, um, he had. Um, uh, Gene was working for uh, Chertoff and Winkler. I had made a, uh, I had worked for Chertoff and Winkler a, a few years before, trying to save one of their turkeys. They hired me after I did uh, uh, Joe for a couple of uh, weeks of uh, shooting to um, try to improve this uh, picture they had. I I don't think anything could have improved it, but I certainly didn't turn down the opportunity. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, that's when uh, I met uh, uh, Gene and uh, got Gene a a job with uh, Chernoff and Winkler. He was uh, working there. Uh, He um, uh, met uh, Sylvester, and he brought Sylvester into Charoff and Winkler as an actor. And they interviewed him, and as he was leaving, uh, Sylvester said, oh, by the way, I also write scripts. Um, And uh, they said, okay, well, why don't you send one along? So he did, and they read the script, and uh, they liked it, and they said, "Uh, we'd like to... uh, We'd like to buy this, 
and uh, Sylvester explained that that script, which was Paradise Alley, had already been sold. But if he, uh, but he could write another script, and they said okay. So he went away, and a week later he came back with uh, Rocky. Mm -hmm. Rocky was written in a very short amount of time, mm -hmm. and um, uh, they liked it. And uh, he said, okay, but I'm only going to sell it to you if I star in it. And they said, oh, be serious. Uh, we'll, we'll, get a, uh, we'll get a movie star to, uh, to star in it. Um, somebody like uh, Ryan O'Neill or, or Burt Reynolds or uh, somebody. And he said, nope, nope. If you want this script, I star. And uh, fortunately, he prevailed, and they said, okay, but... Um, you know, it's going to be done for less than a million bucks, and and I had a reputation for uh, making uh, low-budget uh, movies that didn't go over budget, and um, uh, how that uh, came to be. And we made it for less than a million bucks, and it was uh, shot in 28 days. And uh, what about? The, I guess we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the casting, and that you know, it's under a million dollars, so you have sort of relative. For the most part, you're relative un unknowns, but I'll ask it. So, what was the uh, the process of getting Burgess Meredith for a supporting role? Uh, well, I had met Burgess Meredith on Hurry Sundown when I worked for uh, Otto Preminger in 1964. Right, right. We became uh, we became friends, and um, when uh, it came <clears throat> to the part of uh, Mickey. Uh, one person who uh, came in to read was uh, 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 Jay Lee Cobb, Lee J. Cobb, Lee J. Cobb. Um, but he wouldn't read. He wouldn't audition. Mm -hmm. He said, uh, you know, if you want somebody to read, get a radio actor. But uh, Burgess didn't have that uh, kind of ego, and he didn't mind uh, reading. And when he came in to uh, uh, read, as I would often do, um, I would say after the actor uh, read read the uh, scene, I said, okay, now put the, the script away and let's do it again and uh, just improvise it. You know what the beats are in the scene. Um, so the scene that we auditioned the Mickey character for was where Rocky comes and complains that he's being thrown out of his uh, locker. Mm -hmm. So um, we uh, went through it uh, without the script, and at the end of the uh, scene, as Rocky goes to leave, uh, Burgess says, um, uh, hey, Rock, have you ever thought about retiring? Well, that, that wasn't in the script. <laughs> and Sylvester said, no. And Burgess said, well, start thinking about it. And I thought, that's perfect. You got it. And that's uh, how we got the part. And through those auditions, uh, did, he, did he add that kind of gravelly, growly voice? That, that yes. Yeah, he he brought that to the party. Hmm. And what about some of these other uh, some of the other actors? I mean, uh, you know, Talia Shire, obviously from the Godfather films, but was a was a supporting player and Kurt well, Young. Cutgrass had that part originally, but um, <laughs> uh, had the Adrian part. But uh, her agent wanted too much uh, money, mm -hmm. um, so that was the end of uh, Carrie Snodgrass, and. Um, uh, I had seen uh, Godfather and thought she was terrific in that. Mm -hmm. She came in to read, and that was the end of that story. Mm -hmm. 
Italian and, and, was, uh, Italian was absolutely terrific. Right. He, uh, thank goodness, Kerry uh, uh, Snodgrass was greedy. <laughs> and what is it that Bert Young brought to the role of Pauly? Uh, Bert Young uh, was a favorite of Arthur Crimp, who was one of the uh, heads of United United Artists at the time. Mm-hmm. And Arthur Crimp. Uh, uh, suggested uh, Bert for the part. And um, Bert and I had almost met years uh, before, and um, uh, when I made my first uh, uh, picture for a fellow in New York called um, uh, Leonard Kurtman, uh, mm-hmm. who made uh, uh, low-budget exploitation pictures, and um, Bert had worked for him. Bert had been a, a house painter, and Len, uh, Leonard needed uh, somebody in his movie, uh, and that actor didn't show up one day, so Leonard went next door where the apartment was being painted. <clears throat> there was Bert, and said, come in here, and uh, uh, you can play this part, and a star was born. <laughs> and um, and finally, I guess, uh, Carl Weathers, uh, I, I heard that uh, it was going to be Ken Norton, but he fell through. Is that true? Uh, yeah, Ken Norton was up for it, but um, I think he he decided to uh, go back into fighting, or again, he may have wanted too much uh, uh, money, and um, Carl came in uh, to read, and uh, he didn't know that uh, Sylvester had written the thing. He didn't know who Sylvester was, so uh, Sylvester read opposite uh, Carl, and Carl said, uh, you know, I, I could do a, a lot better with this part if you got a regular actor uh, for me to read against. And uh, we all liked that kind of arrogance, and we thought that was uh, perfect for Apollo Creed, and um, and uh, Carl got the part. And he was... And so, in, in the production of this film, uh was it? A, I guess I uh, it was a 28-day shoot. I mean, it's almost like an indie film. Was the production, even though it was low budget and a short schedule, did you feel that you know you were getting what you wanted, or did you feel rushed, or both? Nope, nope. I was uh, I was very uh, I was very pleased with the uh, production when um, when we started planning it. Uh, I said, well, we got to go to Philadelphia. Uh, to shoot some of this stuff, and the uh, producers said, "No, no, 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 we can't, we can't go to Philadelphia. We can't afford that uh, kind of uh, location." And I said, "No, no, no, we don't have to big, bring a big uh, Hollywood uh, crew to Philadelphia. I've got a uh, non-union, low-budget crew that I've made a number of pictures in New York with. Um, they can come to Philadelphia, and we can make the picture. Of, uh, we can shoot all the exteriors there, and nobody will be the wiser." Um, uh, so I can uh, convince them of that. And uh, the first uh, date where uh, 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 Rocky and Adrian go out was originally written where they go to a little restaurant and sit at a table and and talk for about uh, ten pages or whatever it was. And I said, you know, you don't want two people looking at each other in a static situation talking and talking and can really be deadly. Maybe they go bowling. Maybe they go ice skating. Uh, and that way it won't be so static. So we decided that they would go ice skating. And in downtown Philadelphia, 
there's a little uh, outdoor rink uh, similar to Rockefeller Center in uh, Manhattan, and that's where that uh, scene was going to be uh, shot with a bunch of uh, uh, people skating around, and we were going to sort of steal it. Well, at a certain point, the uh, producers got cold feet, and uh, they were afraid that we were going to be uh, discovered uh, shooting non-union in Philadelphia, and they said, we we, we got to go back uh, to Hollywood before we get caught, and we'll do the first date uh, scene in, uh, in Hollywood, and we'll do it in a little restaurant <laughs> where we won't have a lot of extras to pay. And I said, no, 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 you don't want maybe, maybe they go... Maybe they go skating, and the skating rink is closed, and that's why there are no 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 extras, and we we won't have to pay any extras. And uh, Sylvester liked that idea, and he changed a couple of lines from the script, and that's how they came to uh, have their first date in an empty uh, skating rink. Right. right. And um, I'll ask you about I guess another scene. Uh, the story goes that uh, the big scene where. Rocky gets up in the middle of the night to go to, down to the uh, arena, and then he comes back and he kind of says he he can't win, but he wants to go the distance. That the the uh, producer's studio they wanted that scene cut. And no, the uh, <clears throat> that scene was originally written the night before the fight. Mm-hmm. Rocky went down to uh, Mickey's gym, and he looked at 16 millimeter footage of Apollo's uh, various fights, and um, he is so impressed by uh, Apollo's uh, prowess that he realizes that he hasn't got a chance uh, uh, against this guy, and if he goes the uh, distance, then he won't be just another bum from the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, we never had the time or the money to shoot these uh, uh, newsreel footage scenes that uh, Rocky was going to look at. Um, and uh, I also knew that we were never going to have the extras to fill up the uh, uh, this, uh, uh, this, this sports arena in Los Angeles. So I suggested that instead of going to the gym to look at this footage that we don't have, maybe he goes to the um, to the arena uh, the night before the fight when it's empty. And he walks around, and we see how huge it is. Um, and he's intimidated uh, by it, and uh, that's what serves to uh, uh, make him realize that he hasn't got a chance against this guy. And at the same time that we were uh, getting ready to shoot the scene at the uh, sports arena, um, the uh, posters... We, we had been uh, pleading with the producers to uh, to spring for these posters of the two fighters and their poses that were going to be hung at either end of the uh, arena. Well, the uh, trunks that uh, Sylvester was wearing um, when the Polaroid was taken of him in his uh, boxing pose, those weren't the, uh, uh, the trunks that he was going to be wearing in the fight. But the guy who did the uh, poster didn't know that. So when the poster arrived, he had the wrong colored trunk. Well, we didn't have the time or the money to uh, do that over again. So I said, listen, when he looks up and he sees that uh, the trunks are the wrong color, we'll have the um, uh, the promoter uh, walking through the empty arena, and he'll complain to the uh, 
he'll complain to the guy that the, the trunks are the wrong color. And the, uh, and the promoter, David Thayer, um, uh, Mr. Jurgens, will say, oh, well, it doesn't really matter. Just give us a good fight. And again, this is uh, 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 another reason for us to feel sympathy for Rocky because nobody cares about the guy. And that's how that, that scene uh, came to be. Yeah. Well, and just real quick, I'll ask a couple of technical things. And, uh, you know, Rocky's famous for the, uh, the use of Steadicam. I think, uh, I think at the same time was also used in Bound for Glory in, a, in some scenes. So, so how did how did you hear about this this new in, invention and how are, how are you able to get it in the use in the film since it's such a low budget film? Well, one of my um, uh, crew uh, from New York that I had made a number of non-union uh, pictures with uh, uh, was uh, one of the best uh, assistant cameramen I, I'd ever worked with, uh, Ralph Hotchkiss, and. Uh, when uh, Ralph heard that we were going to be uh, shooting these uh, scenes in uh, Philadelphia, um, he said, oh, I have a friend there who had uh, come up with this uh, new camera, and uh, he's got a, uh, a reel he'd like you to look at it. I said, okay, I'd be happy to. So uh, and at the MGM uh, studio, and um, here's uh, uh, Garrett Brown's uh, soon-to-be wife, running up the stairs of the uh, art museum. <laughs> and I said, ha, ah, I know just where that will go. And that's how um, uh, the Steadicam, uh, and at that time it didn't have a name, uh, came to be used in uh, in Rocky. Mm -hmm. And is it true that the, the shot is actually uh, the shot doing backwards? Uh, it's a, it was filmed as a zoom out, but it's played as a zoom in? Is that, is that uh Yes. Uh, when uh, Rocky's up at the top of the steps, um, I shot that originally uh, 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 tight on him and pulled back. And then when I saw it, I thought, uh, now, you know what, that would be a lot better if uh, instead of pulling back, we zoomed in on him. And uh, so we uh, sent it to the lab and said, uh, run this backwards, and that's what they did. And then uh, how did... Uh then the other iconic part of Rocky is the uh, the score. So, so how did I, I've talked to Bill Conti uh, when I, I did a show on the right stuff, and uh, how did so how did you get in, how did he get involved with the with, with coming up with that iconic? Well, I had scene? met uh, I had met uh, Bill Conti uh, a couple of years uh, before and uh, uh, wanted to uh, use him on uh, WW and the Dixie Dance Cake. Right. A picture I had done at Fox, and they said, "Oh no, no, nobody's heard of Bill Conti. Uh, we'll, we'll give you, we'll give you, <coughs> excuse me, we'll give you a composer." So when when Rocky came along, um, <coughs> when Rocky came along, um, nobody cared who the composer was, and the uh, the budget for the uh, for the music. Including everything, including uh, the composer, con including the copyist, including the studio rental and the tape for the um, music to go down on the studio. Everything, everything had to uh, be uh, included in this twenty-five thousand dollar budget. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, when I started uh, 
working on the boxing, uh, I looked at a lot of boxing pictures and and determined that the boxing looked really phony. Um, and realized the only way it was going to look real is if we spent a lot of time uh, rehearsing it. So I convinced the producers uh, to give us that uh, time, uh, at least a couple of weeks uh, of rehearsal before we started shooting the picture, and then uh, put the boxing uh, sequence at the end of the schedule. So um, we got the uh, uh, Sylvester and Carl in the ring uh, two weeks before we started shooting the picture, and they started uh, bouncing around. I had my little 8-millimeter camera, and uh, I said, wait, wait, wait a second. This, this, uh, this is going to uh, go on forever. Sylvester, why don't you go home and write this out, lefts and rights, whatever you want, write it out, and we'll learn that. We'll learn it like a ballet. He liked the idea, came back the next day with 32 pages of lefts and rights, and that's what we learned. And I would shoot uh, the 8-millimeter film of them every day and show it uh, to them uh, a couple of days later and said, boys, we got to get better, and you might want to lose a little weight. And <laughs> They practiced and practiced and rehearsed and rehearsed, and um, that's why it looked so good. And I would take this 8-millimeter uh, uh, footage and show it to uh, uh, Bill, and I'd slow it down in the projector, and I'd play some uh, some of uh, Beethoven's Sixth uh, Symphony, the Pastoral, uh, behind it. And I said, that, that music makes it look so much more majestic. Uh, so let's have a, a, a classic score, and it will, uh, it will move the boxing up. Uh, they'll like that idea, and that's how that uh, music came to be. And instead of just playing the whole thing on the piano, which he could have done, he, uh, he opted to uh, spend uh, that money on... Uh, uh, one three-hour session where we had uh, 30-some uh, piece orchestra uh, that gave us that classical uh, sound. And I remember that the producers came into the scoring session and they saw all these uh, musicians and they said, Bill, how are you ever going to make any money? But uh, uh, Bill saw the wisdom of uh, giving it that classical sound and mm -hmm. um, Unfortunately, he held on to the uh, publishing rights, and um, and that's how that came to be. And so, when, in post production, when you put it together and you finally saw, you know, you finally saw your first, you know, rough cut of it. What was your? Did, did you know that you know we actually have a good? Not only do we have a good film here, but this could actually be something big. No, that uh, that uh, the realization that uh, I had a hit. Uh, really occurred to me when I saw a long line around the block in New York when the picture opened. Mm -hmm. um, but when we were at that point of um, of uh, looking at the uh, almost final cut, uh, Bill Connie brought in the cue for the last uh, for the last scene, mm -hmm. and the and the and the music was majestic. It, it was it was great. But I didn't have the footage for it. The the way the picture. Uh, uh, was written at the end. Uh, the crowd carries out Apollo, and the crowd carries out uh, uh, Rocky, and as Rocky goes by Adrian, he leans over 
and and pulls her up, and uh, the two of them go out on uh, the shoulders of the crowd. So <clears throat> when we were getting ready to shoot that, the uh, the crowd carries out Apollo, and the assistant director comes up to me and says, well, we don't have enough people to carry out Rocky. Well, obviously the same people who carried out Apollo were going to carry out Rocky, but Sylvester heard that, and he said, you know what, maybe maybe they don't carry him out. Maybe he just walks out, he lost the fight. He just walks down the aisle, everybody's gone. Uh, he sees Adrian at the end of the aisle, and they uh, join hands, and, and they walk out. And if you recall, the, uh, the original poster had the boy and the girl uh, holding hands walking away from the camera. Right. So I, I said, gee, that sounds very poetic. Let's shoot that. And that's what we did shoot. Um, but when Bill brought in that uh, cue for the, uh, for the end of the movie, I didn't have footage to go with that. But the music suggested, um, it made me think of those old Clairol commercials where the boy and the girl run across the, the, the field of wheat and end in an embrace. So I said, let's keep uh, Sylvester in the ring, uh, and we'll have uh, Adrian battle her way through the crowd. <clears throat> She'll climb through the ropes and uh, uh, say, I love you. They'll clinch, and that's the end of the movie. Uh, so uh, I convinced the, uh, uh, the producers of uh, giving us half a day and uh, 25 extras, and uh, Marty Scorsese was about to uh, shoot uh, New York, New York for the same producers, and he had his uh, his camera uh, there in their office. So unbeknownst to him, we borrowed his camera and went and shot for half a day that uh the climatic uh, scene in the uh, in the ring at the end of Rocky. So um, it was Bill Bill Conti's uh, beautiful music that uh, inspired that ending. Mm. And if it hadn't been for that music, I wouldn't be talking to you right now. <laughs> well, I'll ask this: uh, What do you remember of Oscar night? I mean, that was a pretty. Uh, I mean, if people don't people don't remember, that was a pretty. You know, stellar class for best picture with Rocky, Network, All the President's Men, uh, Taxi Driver, I believe. Uh, so, so, what do you what do you remember of Oscar night? Well, uh, Oscar night was uh, uh, very exciting. I um, uh, was not uh, <clears throat> I was not uh, uh, imagining that I was going to win, but I remember that afternoon. I thought, Jesus, what if, what if, what if I do uh, win? Um, I, I've got a lot of people that I owe a lot to, and I want to thank them. I better, I better make some notes just in case. So, uh, I wrote down the back of an envelope all the people I wanted to remember in case uh, the. The long shot came in, and uh, my name was called. So I wrote down all these names on the envelope, stuck the envelope in my uh, tuxedo pocket, went off to the to the uh, the ceremony, and sat there, which seemed for like ever. And uh, lo and behold, my name is called. <laughs> so I rush up there and whip out my envelope, and my perspiration had melted uh, the ink. And it and it looked like a Monet, the envelope. 
but fortunately, I was uh, able to decipher the names and thanked all the folks that uh, had uh, given me so much of their talent um, uh, that went into uh, into uh, winning that night. But it was um, it was great fun, and I, I highly recommend it to anyone. Well, and as a as a postscript, um, this whole series is not coming out on Blu-ray. As a postscript, just briefly, I'll, I'll ask, uh, what was what was the impetus of your involvement in coming into what at the time was thought to be the final Rocky, I guess Rocky Five, and what were the circumstances? You know, how is that? Well, Rocky Five. Um, uh, Bill Cotty came to me and said, "You know, Sylvester wants you to do Rocky Five. He loses all his money. He goes back to the." neighborhood and and at the uh, at the end uh, he dies <clears throat> and um, uh, on the way to the uh, hospital in the ambulance he he dies with his head in Adrian's lap and Adrian comes out of the hospital and the world's press is assembled and uh, she announces that Rocky is dead but as long as people believe in themselves Rocky's spirit will live forever and I thought, wow, that sounds terrific. What a what a great way to go out. So I said yes. So we uh, started shooting the movie. And uh, we shot it in chronological order. So after a week or two of shooting, the uh, head of uh, MGM at the time calls me up and he says, oh, by the way, Rocky doesn't die. I said, he doesn't die? Why not? He said, well, these people don't die. Superman, James Bond, uh, Spider-Man, these people uh, don't die. Uh, so Rocky doesn't die. I said, well, wait a second. Ro Rocky is a, is a fairy tale. Uh, he can die, and you can still go on. Uh, uh, after he dies, the next uh, picture, uh, he's in limbo. We have to examine Rocky's life to see if he goes to heaven or hell. And it uh, turns out uh, he goes to heaven. And then uh, the next picture, somebody on earth is in trouble, and guess who comes down from heaven to, to solve the problem? So uh, he doesn't have to uh, uh, be alive. You can keep doing the sequels. And they said, no, 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 Rocky, uh, Rocky doesn't die. So Rocky didn't die, but the movie died, because without him dying, there was no point in the movie, because Sylvester wrote the thing with that in mind. Mm -hmm. So um, it was... Uh, it was a very unfortunate uh, decision. Right. Did you did you find that you know when he did part six, the final his real the real final ending that he finally was able? Did you feel that he finally was able to come up with a real ending? Well, uh, I ran into Sylvester uh, uh, a little before he started uh, shooting um, the, uh, the Rocky Balboa. I don't know if I'm going to call it the last one, and I'll call it the most recent one. Uh, I said, so what happens? He said, well, when the movie opens, Adrian's dead. I said, what? Adrian's dead when the movie opens? And he says, yeah. I said, look, if you don't want Adrian in the movie, let her die before the, the titles. Let her die in your, in your arms. Um, uh, that's an iconic, the two of you are an iconic couple. Her death That's that's a great moment. What a way to open 
the movie. That, that is, you'll have the audience in the palm of your hand. He said, no, 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 no. He, she, uh, she's dead. So I thought that was uh, a blown opportunity. Um, but for the rest of the movie, I thought it was, uh, I thought it was real good. I, I was disappointed that he didn't use Sage as his, uh, his son. Mm -hmm. I thought that was uh, uh, a mistake. Mm -hmm. I said, why aren't you using Sage? He's real good. And he said, oh, he's put on so much weight. I said, so what? I, I said, use it. Use it. To, uh, let Rocky be upset about it. But he uh, he didn't see the wisdom of that. Uh, right. Um, but I thought the... Uh, I thought the movie up to the fight was uh, uh, was was good. I thought the fight was a little too glitzy. Um, it wasn't as realistic as I thought it might have been. Mm -hmm. um, but generally speaking, I, I, it was a lot better than I thought it was going to be. Right. Well, I'll ask you. This will be my final question. I'll ask you this, and that you know, uh, you know, when people talk about you know, there's all this books that have been written about the films of the '70s. And the new Hollywood era, you know, and they talk about all the you know, Scorsese, De Palma, Lucas, uh, Spielberg, all those, you know, Altman, all those. But you know, for people who are real connoisseurs of that era, you had your hand in three of those three iconic films. I mean, obviously Rocky, what we're talking about, and we talked earlier about Say the Tiger, and then really in 1970, uh, Joe, which you had a hand in, which is kind of this uh, a real zeitgeist moment of a film, I mean, really coming on, uh, you know, I, if I remember correctly, it came uh, before, a little before or after Kent State, I mean, it was kind of a big zeitgeist moment for Joe. Uh, so I'm curious, when you look back at, at that... Kent State was, uh, was in um, May of 70, and we shot Joe in uh, January of 70. Right. And Joe opened in July of 70. Yeah, I mean, so it really... So Joe really touched a nerve for a lot of people. I mean, it sure did. And so I'm curious, when you look at you know that stuff you did in the '70s, and there's other films in there. What do you think of when you look at back at, at that particular period of, of your career? I, I think I was very lucky. Hmm. I had the benefit of some terrific scripts. Um, uh, Norman Wechsler, who wrote uh, Joe, uh, uh, caught that uh, that 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 moment in history uh, very vividly. Um, he and I uh, he and I uh, worked in the advertising business together. That's where we had uh, we had met and um, and uh, and then uh, we uh, we were going to do um, uh, uh, I got him to uh, write uh, Serpico mm -hmm. um, and uh, I was going to do Serpico, but I wouldn't give the producer's girlfriend a, a job, so I got fired from that. And then I got uh, Norman uh, the job on um, Saturday Night Fever, mm. um, uh, which I was going to do. And um, But I got uh, the boot on that one because uh, of another uh, uh, romantic entanglement with... Uh, the producer and his uh, boyfriend. But um, a director is always at the mercy of, of the script, and mm -hmm. I've had the good fortune of uh, having some really terrific scripts, because if it's not in the script, you're out of luck. Right. And 
I could ask one quick question. I guess the you know something you can you know uh, as kind of a post analysis. You know, Rocky is such an iconic film, and you were in, in, you were you helped bring that vision to the screen. Do do you um, what is your reaction when you when you if you read reviews or, or criticism when like when some of your other films they say well it's a Rocky like film. I mean. Uh, during the summer, I talked to the screenwriter of Karate Kid. That's another film that, you know, some, you know, and he told me the producer said, well, this is Rocky for kids, was one of the kind of the, the, the pitch of it. And so I was wondering, what do you think when you, know, you when people say, describe, well, Avildsen's doing kind of a, another, uh, using kind of a Rocky template? Do you cringe at that? Or do you... I, I don't think there's any, uh, any relationship between Rocky and, uh, uh, a Karate Kid. A Karate Kid uh, was about a, uh, a a kid and a surrogate father. Mr. Miyagi is the is the perfect fantasy uh, surrogate father. Every every kid would like to have a a surrogate father like Mr. Miyagi. Mm -hmm. um, it was uh, a great coming of age uh, story and a great uh, surrogate father son. Uh, story. Um, the fact that it, uh, you know, the the final scenes of the two movies happen to be in, in some kind of a sports arena, uh, you know, people like to uh, pigeonhole. Um, so it's uh, convenient. If if I had done uh, Serpico, then I would have gotten all the the cop movies. Um, <laughs> So it's just the lack of imagination that some people have.